So we are taking a few weeks to talk about some of the core passions and convictions that we pursue here at Grace Church. And this afternoon, I want us to think about the passion, the conviction of fellowship, which has to do with our relationships together, our conversations, our friendships. So what does the Bible have to say about fellowship? And one passage that answers that question, one of my favorites, is the one we're looking at tonight, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And right off at the very beginning, the author in verse 12 calls us to do something in the very first two words. So what does the author call us to do? Look at verse 12, especially the first two words. He says, take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, that word brothers could make you th think he's just addressing this to the men, but that's not the case. Ladies, we're all, we're all included here. The word brothers is used generically in this passage, as in many passages. It has to do with men and women. So what the author is calling all of us, men and women, to do is to take care regarding each other, because that word take care means there's some danger. If you need to take care, if you need to pay heed, if you need to be on the alert, it's because there's some danger that's being faced. That's what he's talking about here. Let me illustrate it like this. Think about what it's going to feel like tonight when you walk into your home. This is your home. Okay? You're going to feel secure, right, safe relaxed. That's how you feel when you walk into your home. But now what if, as you were putting the key in the lock, a neighbor came up and said, I'm so sorry, I have to tell you, I've been trying to catch this deadly poisonous snake. And unfortunately, it slithered into your house. And I don't know where it is. Okay, now as you walk into the house, how are you going to feel? You're going to be on the alert. There's a danger here. You're going to be paying heed. You're going to be cautious. You're going to be watching. You're going to be careful. A whole different attitude because there's a danger that you're aware of. In verse 12, the author is urging us to take care regarding each other because our brothers and sisters face a danger. So what is that danger? Let's raise that question next. What is this danger faced by our brothers and sisters? The answer, is, again, is right there in verse 12. Let's read the whole thing, and, and you'll see. Verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, men and women, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So every believer, each of us and everyone here who is trusting Christ, we each face a danger the danger is developing an evil heart of unbelief, an evil, unbelieving heart. Literally, it's an evil heart of unbelief. The, the root problem is unbelief. That's the danger we all face, developing an evil heart of unbelief. So we're talking about a danger with our believing, a danger regarding our faith. So what does that mean? Well, faith means trusting all that God promises us, 
in Jesus Christ. So faith is, trusting all of God's promises. The Bible is full of beautiful promises that God has given to us. And even though we have sinned against God, which we all have, and don't deserve any of His promises to be kept for us, yet because, as we celebrated with communion tonight, because God sent His Son to die on the cross to be punished for all the sins of everyone who trusts Him, because God has done that through Christ, because you're trusting Him, all of God's promises are true for you. Every promise in the Scripture is true for you. It's beautiful news. But the danger we face is stopping believing those promises, weakening in our faith in those promises, lessening in our confidence in those promises. That's the danger we face, unbelief. We all battle that. We all face that. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you get an email from work. We hope this doesn't happen, but you get an email from work this week, and the email says that redundancies are on the table. Job layoffs are coming. So prepare. You may lose your job, what the email says. Now, you know that God says we should not fear. God says we should not worry. He says that numerous times in the Scripture, but there you are, you're reading this email, and you're feeling fear rising up in your heart, right? You're feeling worry rising up in your heart, right? It's just what happens. Okay, you don't look very confident. I'll tell you, this is, this is what, what would happen. Okay, you feel the fear, you feel the worry rising up in your heart. You know you shouldn't be worried or fearful, but there it is, rising up in your heart. So what's the root cause of that worry and that fear? It's not just the email. It's the unbelief. It's the fact that you are not trusting all that God promises you in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some illustrations. For example, you're not trusting the promise of Psalm 50, verse 15, one of my favorite promises, where God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you in that day of trouble. So call upon me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Now just think about it. If you believed that, is your day of trouble. Here's the email announcing a potential day of trouble. If you believed that promise, you would not be fearful or worried, would you? Now, we don't know how God is going to deliver us, but he will always, always deliver us in a way that you'll look back and say, I had a day of trouble, God delivered me. So can you see that if you believed that promise, you wouldn't be as fearful or as worried, or maybe not even worried or fearful at all? Can you see that? Help me out here. Okay. How about this promise, Philippians 4.19, which says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Isn't that an amazing promise? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens with the job, keep it, lose it, whatever, he will supply every need of yours. Now, if you believed that, how fearful or worried would you be? Not as fearful or worried. Am I right? One more example. Psalm 1611. 
David's talking to God. And he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In knowing God through Jesus, we have fullness. We can know times of fullness of joy where your heart is completely filled. And you know that the promise of that joy lasts forever. No one else can promise you fullness of joy forever. Nothing else can guarantee you fullness of joy forever. God can and does. What that means is that your joy does not depend upon keeping your job. Does not depend upon that. Whatever God chooses to do, He will meet you. He will strengthen you. He will satisfy you. He will fill you. He will give you everything that you need. So can you see, just take those three promises, and can you see how believing those promises would lessen your fear and your worry? Does that make sense? What I want to illustrate is that the root cause of the worry and the fear is unbelief. There are promises in God's Word that you're not trusting. Oh, when I first saw this in the Scriptures, this has changed my life. So, so helpful to see. The reason we're fearful and worried is because we're not trusting God's promises. Now, here's the problem. When there's unbelief in our hearts, that is not easy to change. Unbelief, like it's sunk its claws into you. It doesn't want to let go. I've got the heart now. I'm not letting go. Unbelief is stubborn. It's not as easy as just saying, well, just believe the promise. I don't ever find it that easy. Do you? I mean, I, I don't. It, it, it's a, it's a, what Paul calls the fight of faith. So how do you move from unbelief to believing? Well, we need to pray. God, I need your help. Strengthen my faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Use your word now to build up my faith so I believe these promises. And then we open up the Bible and we look at these promises. These three are many, many others that would be helpful for you. And you focus your heart and your thought on the words in these promises. And you think about them. And you pray over them. And help me to believe this promise. And you've all experienced this. When you do that, over some time, for me, usually it's over some time, but your fear and worry will start to diminish and then start to diminish, and peace will. So fear and worry diminishes, and peace and hope and contentment and strength and joy rises. You've experienced that, right? You pray, you ask for God's help, you open up the Scriptures, and He meets us. So I want you to understand, it's not as easy as just, well, to start believing the promises. Yes, that's what we should do, but that takes prayer, and that takes the Word, thinking about the Word, meditating on the promises, focusing on the promises. So here's what would happen. Just, you've, you've prayed, you opened up the Scriptures, and then you're, you're thinking about Psalm 50:15, where, where God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. So the God of the universe who's created everything is promising you, I will deliver you from this day of trouble. Don't know how he's going to do that, but he is going to totally do that. And as you pray about that, Lord, strengthen my faith. Help me to see that more clearly. The Holy Spirit will strengthen your faith, and your peace and your joy will grow, and your fear will shrink. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
could be large, could be small, but he will do exactly what will bring us the greatest joy in his glory is what that promise is saying. And so as you pray over that, that every single need I have in this process, he, my father, my God is going to meet. Worry and anxiety declines and peace and hope increases. And then Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. No matter what happens with your job, God can fill you. You do not. Again, let me ask you, is that easy to do? The right answer is no. Let's try that again. Is that easy to do? It, it is not. Unbelief is stubborn. It is stubborn. It sinks its claws in. It doesn't want to let go. But the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it can slay unbelief. And so use the Word by prayer and watch what God does. So when we start to feel worry and fear, understand what the problem is. There's some promise or promises that I'm not trusting. This applies to every area of temptation, every area of struggle we have. If, if you're struggling to forgive someone, the problem is unbelief. If you're becoming prayerless, so you're, you're not really praying much anymore, unbelief. If you're not getting time in the Scripture, seeking God's face in the Word, the problem is unbelief. If you're angry at somebody and you're not, I mean, you're feeling bitter towards them, unbelief, and just go down through the list. Now, let me just mention, some of you know about this, it's all different colors, but this is called a promise for every problem battle guide. There's a bunch of them at the t welcome table. You can grab one on the way out, all different colors. You can choose the color you like. We list 27 temptations and difficulties and symptoms on the left-hand column, and then promises in the right-hand column that we have found helpful. We came up with this a couple years ago. Many found it helpful. Let me commend it to you. But what I want you to understand is that the problem, your brothers and sisters, well, all of us, but the author here is focusing on our brothers and sisters. The problem your brothers and sisters are facing is unbelief. That's the slithering, dangerous, poisonous snake that's in the home. That's what we need to take alert, watch, take care. Now, why is unbelief so dangerous? Why is unbelief so dangerous? The author tells us two ways. He describes that danger in two ways. First is at the end of verse 12. This is sobering. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It doesn't get more dangerous than that. Unbelief can lead us to fall away from the living God. And falling away from the living God means not being saved. It means not being forgiven for our sins. It means no heaven. It means facing God's judgment forever. That's what falling away means in the Scriptures. Now, this immediately raises an important question. Is this saying that you can at one point in your life be genuinely saved and trusting Jesus Christ and then still end up not in heaven, not saved? Is that what this passage is saying? And I believe the answer is no. One reason is because of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's take a little detour there, and then we'll come back and explain this passage. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I would commend this verse to you to memorize and to think about. Beautiful verse. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God begins a good work in you. He saves you. He changes your heart. He gives you faith. So you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and as your treasure. He's begun a good work in you. And what this verse says is that everyone in whom God begins a good work, God will complete that work. Complete, 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 all the way until Jesus comes. You'll enter heaven. Everyone who God begins a good work in, He will complete the work. He will keep them on the road. He will keep them trusting Christ. He will keep them all the way until they enter heaven, which means no one can lose their salvation. Do you see that from this verse? He begins the good work in someone. He will always complete that good work in that same person. So the big question for each of us is, how do we know if God's begun the good work in us? Like right now, can you be, are you sure of that? Because if you're sure of that, Heaven is certain. It's glorious. So how can you be sure that God has begun the good work in you? And let me tell you, it's because you're trusting Christ right now. You're trusting him. You're not sinless. And your faith isn't perfect. But you're trusting him. And when unbelief rises up, you fight that unbelief. You want to be trusting Christ, not moving into unbelief. And when you're tempted, you resist that temptation. You fight that temptation. You're trusting Christ. And when you stumble and sin, which we do, believers do stumble and sin, we're back to Jesus. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, strengthen me. I want to trust you. And you get back into fighting unbelief and fighting sin and following Christ again. That's how you can tell that the good work has started in you. Is that in your heart tonight? Don't think that battling unbelief is like, that's kind of a bad sign if you've got to battle unbelief. It's not a bad sign. It is a good sign. It's when you're not battling unbelief, that's the bad sign. If you're not battling unbelief, you're just going ahead with any temptations that come your way. You're holding on to this area of sin. This is mine, my precious, my little area of sin here. That's a bad sign. It's not a bad sign if you're battling unbelief, you're resisting temptation, and when you stumble, you're turning back to Christ. That's a good sign. That shows that the Good work has been started in you, which means if that's in your heart tonight, you're battling unbelief, you want to be trusting Christ, you love him, you want to seek him, you're not perfect, you hate it when you sin, but you do, but you're back, you're confessing, that means that you are, see see down there, you're going to be in heaven. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, let me just pause here. I mean, be honest with yourself. Maybe that's not where your heart is. Maybe you are clinging on to some areas of known sin. And if you're clinging on to areas of known sin, if you're not battling unbelief, if you're welcoming sin into your life, that is a dangerous, dangerous sign. And I would just appeal to you that if that's your heart state, you can't be sure that the good work was started. But you could be sure that quick. Confess that sin to the Lord right now, right where you are right now. Confess that. Turn to the Lord. Say, forgive me. Yikes, I didn't realize this. This is frightening. Well, yes, be frightened. It's a slithering snake, which can lead you to fall away from the living God. And the Lord will immediately run towards you with his arms wide open and help you and forgive you and wash you clean and get you back on the road. So don't be deceived about your heart. That's one reason 
unbelief is so dangerous is because it can lead us to fall away from the living God. So let me just put out the whole picture. God begins the good work in you. Okay, changes your heart, gives you faith. You're not sinless, you're not perfect, but you're fighting unbelief. You're calling out to him for help. When you sin, you're turning back and forgive me, help me. He started the good work, and now what is he doing? He's continuing the good work. Today, tomorrow, and he does that by stirring us to fight unbelief when it rises up. So you get the email about the work tomorrow or whatever it comes up, but he will stir you to fight that unbelief. Because unbelief could lead you to fall away from the living God, and he's not going to let you fall away. So he keeps stirring you to keep fighting unbelief. And from this passage, we'll see he brings brothers and sisters around you who will also encourage you to keep fighting unbelief. Keep fighting. Trust the Lord. He'll forgive you. He'll wash you. He's worth it all. And so God begins the good work in you, and everyone in whom God begins that good work, he continues. He continues. Stirs you to fight this sin, stirs you to fight that unbelief, strengthens you here, Oop, moves you to confess your sin and come back on the road here. He's, he's keeping you all the way to the end. Do you see that? It's the most glorious thing to know that you're on that road. I mean, the reason you can be sure you're going to heaven isn't because of how spiritual you are or because of how disciplined you are, because of how faithful and strong and loving God is. When we enter heaven, all the applause is going to go to him. See that? That's how it works. But do you see that that still means unbelief is dangerous? Unbelief does lead people to fall away from the living God. That's why God's completing work is to keep stirring you to fight that unbelief. That's one way unbelief is dangerous. Here's a second way. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So unbelief can deceive us and harden our hearts toward God. Now, think about how dangerous deception is. When you are deceived, you don't think you're deceived, right? I'm not deceived because I'm deceived. That's how it works. Deception means you're thinking things that are not true. And you think that they're true. And that's what unbelief can do. Unbelief can twist our thinking so we believe things that aren't the case. Like, we can believe, I, I just think I've sinned too much to be forgiven by God. That's a lie. But people believe that. Some of you might believe that. It is a lie. That's deception. Unbelief is deceiving you there. Or we think, my belief is just too strong, or it's been going on too long, it just can't be overcome. That's deception. It's a lie. Or we can think, yeah, I'm starting to think there's lots of ways to God. I mean, Jesus isn't that important. Lots of, you know, lots of ways to get to God. That's a lie. Deception. Or, you know, over time I've kind of just developed my own spirituality. That's a lie. The scriptures, Jesus Christ, that's the answer. So feel the danger of what it means to be deceived. Unbelief, when it's rising up in your heart, is dangerous because it can start to deceive you. And the result of that deception is that your heart becomes hardened towards God. You don't love God anymore. Your heart isn't tender toward him. 
You don't love Jesus Christ as your Savior, your hope, your future, your meaning, your purpose. Your heart has become hard towards God. The affection, the love, the tenderness, it's gone. That's the second reason or second way that unbelief is dangerous because it can deceive us and that will result in us having hardened hearts toward God. Okay, so just look, look at each other here in the room. Okay, here, most all of us are believers, and what the author wants us to understand is every believer is facing the danger of unbelief, which is dangerous because it can lead us to fall away from the living God and because it can deceive us and harden our hearts toward God. Two different ways of saying kind of the same thing. So do, you, do we see that? I face this danger. You face this danger. We all face this danger, which is why we need to take care, right? There's a snake in the house, a poisonous snake. We get, be on the alert. Be ready. That's what the author is calling us to do here. So then the question is, how can we help our brothers and sisters avoid this danger? What can we do? The answer is in verse 13. Let's read it again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, by unbelief. How do we help each other? Grace Church, we do this by exhorting each other every day, as long as it is called today. Okay, how long is it called today? Well, that means until Jesus comes back. That's the day. So when Jesus comes back, that's the final day. So it's still today as long as Jesus hasn't come back yet. So has Jesus come back yet? No. So what should we be doing today? Exhorting each other, encouraging each other, motivating each other, comforting each other, loving each other. That's all tacked up in that word exhorting. And when we do this, we should do this humbly. We, we all struggle with unbelief. Every day, I struggle and fight against unbelief in my heart. Every day, we all do. We battle this. So we do this humbly. We're all in this together. And so we come alongside each other. We're humble. And we should do this lovingly. Don't scold people. Don't be impatient with people. Be tender. Be affectionate. Be kind. Be compassionate. Love them. Humbly and lovingly. And we want to do this effectively, which means what do we say? What words do we say? How do we exhort? Exhort is words, words we speak. So how do we do this effectively? Hebrews 3 tells us, remember, if, if somebody is fearful and worried about their potential job loss, their main problem is not that they're worried or fearful. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem isn't that they might lose their job. The biggest, most dangerous problem is the unbelief that's in their hearts. So what do we do? Our words, our love, our humility needs to focus on strengthening their faith, coming alongside them and building them up in their faith. That's what we should focus on. We shouldn't just come alongside and say, look, that the economy is strong. You've been a great worker at your job. You're not going to lose your job. 
Now, we might mean well in saying that. We want to make them feel better. But have we done anything for their unbelief? No. It's still there. It, it may show up in different forms in different places and times, but we haven't gone for the root issue, the danger, the snake, the unbelief. See, this illustration helps. Imagine that you're a doctor in an emergency room. Ambulance brings someone. They are in excruciating pain from a terribly broken leg. Just, oh my goodness, pain from this leg. It's not going to kill them, but it hurts. And they have severe internal bleeding, which doesn't hurt, but will kill them if it's not taken care of. Now think of how tragic it would be if the doctor focused just on what was giving them the most pain, which is their broken leg and gave them a bunch of pain meds. They're feeling better. Says, I'll see you in the morning and does nothing for the internal bleeding, which will kill them. Does that make sense? See, that's the danger if we just talk on the shallow circumstantial level. It'll be fine. You won't lose your job. You've been a hard worker. You've got seniority. You know, send me your resume, your CV. I mean, those things aren't necessarily wrong to say, but none of those deal with the internal bleeding. Because, falling, because unbelief can lead people to fall away from the living God, and God wants, he's, work, he's using us to complete the work that he's promised to do to strengthen their faith, to keep their faith from moving into unbelief. And so our words need to strengthen their faith. So just put that, put that in your heart and your mind. When, when somebody is being tempted, when someone is discouraged, when someone is drifting, the root issue here is unbelief. They're not trusting all that God has promised to be to them in Christ Jesus. That's the root issue that's going on here. That's how we can defeat sin's deception. That's how we keep hearts from getting hard. That's how we keep people from falling away from the living God. That's how it works. So how do you do that? What, what do you actually do? I mean, let me just throw out a couple of suggestions. God will give you wisdom as you pray and as you seek him about this, but Try to sit down with them. I mean, texts are good, but nowhere near as good as sitting down with somebody, right? If you can, sit down with them. This is important. I mean, unbelief is serious danger. So sit down. Hey, let's meet at Starbucks or have them over to your home. Sit down and tell me what's going on. And you just listen. Email or whatever it might be. What's happening? What's taking place? Tell me more. How's your heart doing with all of this? And you listen, you want to learn, you want to take in. And then you want to pray with him. Let's, let's pray right now. Let's ask God to come and help. I believe the scriptures teach, you might say, that the root issue here is just promises that God has given you, that if you trusted them, he will keep them. But if you trusted them, then your unbelief would be overcome and your heart would change and you, you'd be strengthened in him. So let's pray and ask him to come and do that. So you pray with them. Pray for them, and then you open up the Scriptures. Open up the Bible. Don't just rely on, well, the Bible says some bad things are going to be okay. No, no. Real, black and white promises. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit, which slays unbelief. Our, our general summary is just kind of a little rubber dagger. It's not going to do very much. Okay, we want the sword of the Spirit. So maybe open up Psalm 50, 15, where God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. I will deliver you. And you will glorify me. And so you talk about that promise. And then let's call upon him right now and ask him to deliver you. 
And so you pray about that. Deliver my sister, deliver my brother, protect their job, strengthen their faith, most important right now, so that whatever you choose to do, they'll be able to trust and be content as you unfold the plan. So you use a promise. And then Philippians 4.19, that God promises to provide every need of theirs. Do you believe that? It's not easy to believe that, is it? It's kind of scary. But oh, you tell them stories about how God provided for people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, how God's provided for you. Share stories along those lines, and let's pray and ask God to strengthen your faith in that promise. And then Psalm 1611, whatever happens with your job, God is your all-satisfying, heart-filling treasure in Christ. So you don't need your job to have full joy in Him. You're free. Just see what He does here. We're going to pray that you keep your job. We'll pray for that. And so you just go through promise by promise by promise, and you're praying for them, and you're loving them, and you're encouraging them. You can trust the Lord, and God will use your love, your humble love, and your scripture-based exhortation and encouragement to build their faith and to strengthen their faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. And he's calling us to do that every day. Isn't that amazing? Now, he has one more point he wants to make, though, in verse 14. He wants to answer this question. Why is this so urgent? He's already told us some reasons why, but he wants to make sure we get this. Why is this so urgent? Look at what he says in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. We have been saved. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence, our trust in God's promises in Christ, if we hold our original confidence firm until the end. Now, earlier I showed you from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. That's the verse you're all going to go memorize, right? I showed you from Philippians 1, 6 that when God saves us, when He gives us faith, when He begins that work, He promises. He will continue that saving work all the way until He brings you into heaven. It is guaranteed. That's Philippians 1, 6. So no one can lose their salvation. But what verse 14 says is that one of the ways we can tell we've come to share in Christ, one of the ways we can tell we've come to be saved is because we are holding our original confidence firm to the end. We are still fighting against unbelief. We are resisting sin. We're fighting to trust the Lord. We're seeking to trust His promises. We're walking with Jesus. That shows us that we were, that that good work did start back at the beginning. We did become partakers of Christ. And that truth, that's one way we know we've been saved, that helps us feel why this is so urgent, this every day encouraging each other. See, the author wants you to understand, wants me to understand, that your brother or sister in Christ has become a partaker of Christ, they have been saved, if they keep fighting to trust God's promises to the end. That's the sign that that good work has started. And one of the ways God will keep them fighting unbelief is through your encouragement, exhortation, words of Scripture. So your encouragement is one of the ways that God is going to keep them all the way to the end. Now this, this raises up the importance of fellowship way more than maybe some of us have seen. Fellowship is not just about we like having friends. 
We do like having friends. But fellowship is not just about we like having friends. Fellowship is about we like having our friends in heaven. That's what fellowship is about. Eternity is at stake in our fellowship. Because God has chosen to use our fellowship with each other to do that completing work that God has promised to do. Our fellowship, your words. Now, oh, Satan does not want you to think, it's like, not, not me, not my words. Your words, your words, your words, your words, your words. God will help you. And just simple, I love you, and all I know is you can trust Jesus. Boom! Powerful faith building. See how that works? So you don't need to preach a whole sermon. In fact, don't. Okay, just a couple of crucial things. I need to learn that too. Okay, so fellowship is urgent. Fellowship is not shallow. And we just kind of paste on the smiles and we pretend like everything is fine and we just talk about this shallow stuff. That's, I mean, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But we, we, we got to go for the helping each other fight the fight of faith. Is that happening in our friendships? That's the most important thing. That's what the author wants us to see here. We are battling for each other's souls. Eternity is at stake in our fellowship. God wants us. He wants every church to be a community. He wants each of us to experience being part of a community where regularly you are encouraging your brothers and sisters in trusting Christ, and regularly you are receiving encouragement from them to trust in Christ. So that's happening regularly, every day, as long as it's still called today. That's what God wants us to have. Do you have that? Do you have that? Let's raise the question, what does this mean for us? How can we experience this kind of fellowship? A group this size, too big to do that. So what we've decided to do at Grace, and each church has to figure out how they're going to pursue this, we break things up into home groups. And a home group is a group of maybe 8 to 20 people who meet together once a week to worship, pray, study the Scripture, share how our faith is, share Scriptures with each other, and pray for each other once a week. And then outside of that once-a-week meeting, lots of other connections within that home group happening. People talking together, meeting at Starbucks, having to be over for dinner, building faith, strengthening each other, exhorting each other, encouraging each other. That's home group. That's what home group is. Our home groups are not perfect. But we are wanting to grow in this regular, everyday, and receiving and giving encouragement to each other so that every member of the home group is regularly giving encouragement, having the joy of that, and receiving encouragement, receiving the benefit of that. Now, right now, we have 10 home groups, 10 home groups, led by amazing leaders. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to introduce the leaders to them, because I'm hoping that those of you who aren't in home groups yet will make a beeline to that person whose home group is nearest to where you live, just to get to know them and hear their story and maybe think about visiting. No obligation. You can visit. You can visit any home group you want, and God will lead you but I want to encourage you to do all you can, even if you can't. I mean, if you're an Etihad pilot and you're flying half the time, that's all right. Just be there when you can because you'll have other connections that can take place outside of the actual home group meeting. Don't let that hold you back. Nobody's able to make every single home group. Do we have a map? Let's have the map go up there. Boom. Look at that. Beautiful map. So let's go through these home groups. First of all, there's the Raja Beach home group led by Earl and Len Palacios. Right here, Earl and Len meeting Tuesday evenings 
7 p.m. Fantastic home group leaders. So Raha Beach, all the Raha Beach people who aren't getting home group, mm, go talk with them. Raha Gardens home group, just across the road, Troy and Vicki Lambeth, Troy and Vicki right here. Okay, Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock also. So those of you who are Raha Gardens or, or the thereabouts, beeline over to them. The Al Bondor home group, Hunter and Alicia Womack. Hunter's here, Alicia's with the kids. Wednesday evenings, 5.30. Great home group leaders, so make a beeline to them. The All Reef home group, David and Candace, back here. Yes. Just a couple months now, home group's going. Thursday evening, 6.30. Okay, so All Reef people. The Khalifa City home group, Aaron and Tash Lacey. Are, I don't think Aaron and Tash are here. They're, they're... Okay, so who's, who's in their home group who can stand up and have people make a beeline to you? There he is. <laughs> Graham. So they meet Thursdays, 7 o'clock. Uh, the MBZ home group, Mohammed bin Zayed City, led by Will. Where's Will? Over here. Okay. And they meet Friday evening, 6 o'clock. Okay, very good. The Sasal Nako home group, Akin and Wumi, Akin Lusotu. We're back there in the back. There's Akin. Okay. Sasal Nako, Friday evenings, 5 o'clock. Is that right, Akin? Okay, excellent. Downtown home group, Rob and Margie. There they are right here. Friday evening, 6.30, all the downtown people. Remiland home group, just got started. Rommel and Benilza Andres, Friday evening, 6.30. Just like with three weeks now, right? Brand new home group. Very exciting. Sadiat Island's home group. Now, Bob and Karen Kubinek lead that, but they're not here. They're in the U.S. By the way, the surgery for their child went really well. I keep praying for them. But he gave me three different couples. So John and Yuli, Keith and Joyce, Ernesto and Rebecca. Okay, you got a few here, there. All right. Ernesto and Rebecca are upstairs with the kids. Okay. So make a beeline over to, to them if you are a Saudi person. So I want to encourage you to do all you can to make those connections, to be part of one of those communities. And even if, even if you can't make, even not, maybe most of the evenings, that's okay, but you'll make a connection. You'll have more connection than you have now. And you'll meet some brothers, you'll meet some sisters who you can talk to, encourage them. They will encourage you. I want to urge you to do that. This will give you an opportunity to strengthen others in their faith and give you an opportunity to receive strengthening in your faith. And as we do that, we'll be fulfilling what the author of Hebrews calling us to do as a church, what he's calling us to do in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Let me close by reading that verse to you again, those verses. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Just let the Holy Spirit impact your heart with these verses. Take care, brothers, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's stand together.
Thank you, Father, for your great love for us, that you begin a good work in us, that you promise you will continue all the way to